0: Hi, my name is Sparrow. I'm 10 years old, and my favorite superhero is The Rocketeer. Hi, I'm Stitch. I'm 8 years old, and my favorite superhero is Iron Man.
1: And I'm Tony, They're Disney dad. I'm 40 years old, and my favorite superhero is Spider Man. Welcome to Disney Discussions. All right, welcome to episode 22 of Disney Discussions. Disney Discussions is a family-friendly podcast where me, Tony the Disney Dad, and my two boys...
0: Sparrow! Stitch!
1: ...discuss all things Disney. (laughs) This week, we have no news. It's kind of a special episode. We're going to go right into the main topic, which is part one of our interview with Royden. Royden uh, is a a great guy, creator of Rust, gave us a great conversation with him, but we're going to divide it up into two parts because he gave us lots of good information, so...
0: And it was an hour and four minutes anyway. Right. The first part is probably going to be like 30 minutes, and the second part is probably going to be three, four
1: minutes. Yeah, well, we'll see. I'll divide it in half, but he gave some great uh, yeah. information about the Rust yeah, books, yeah. how he got into yeah. art, yeah. how uh, yeah. young artists could, could hone their skills. Uh, he talks about Disney and some of his, some of his favorite books, and even um, some hints into the future of Rust as a movie. Ooh yeah it might not be what you expect. All right, so here's part one of the interview right now. All right, welcome everyone. We have Royden Lepp with us. He is the the author and artist of a great uh, graphic novel series called Rust. Um, welcome to our show, Royden. Thanks for coming.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. i'm I'm uh, al- always excited to talk uh, about Rust, but also to talk about Disney stuff too. I'm a big fan of Disney.
1: Oh, great. You're welcome. so i found uh the first rust book um soon after it came out i think i fanboy um did a write-up on it and it sounded really interesting i got it and i fell in love with it right away um and then sparrow you started reading it was it two years ago
0: uh yeah like two or three years ago yeah
1: Yeah. and it's just it's great it's not I, I, i don't like the term all ages all that much because it kind of has a bad connotation but this is um it's it's you know Walt Disney said he doesn't make kid films he makes family films and I think this is what your books are they're um are about family yeah. they're for yeah. families it's, it's a great series so for those that don't know it's you know it's a family that lives on a farm there's prologues in each book about you know. 48 i think it is years before the main story about a war with robots and then you know it's about a family yeah. uh on a farm mm-hmm. that that finds robots and this this robot character who they don't realize is a robot at first Oop, maybe that's a spoiler i don't know uh <laughs> <laughs>
2: not not after the cover of volume four i don't think that's a spoiler right
1: right um you know, comes and help them out. And it's just, it's a story about, you know, families just trying to learn how to be together and even, you know, yeah. neighbors helping each other out and helping strangers. And
0: how did you get the idea for rust? Uh, yeah. Rust, rust came about
2: in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, rust was originally a pitch for a video game. Oh. Uh, I work in the video game industry here in Seattle and I had worked at a smallish kind of company, and they were always looking for new ideas. And I don't even know if I was pitching it, but I was kind of doing some sketches on my drawing table at work of a kid with a jetpack, and a co-worker of mine who was a friend walked by and said, whoa, what is that? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. And he said, you should figure that out. And he walked away. And um, <laughs> as an artist, that's the kind of stuff that, you're looking for you look for a response from people you know sometimes you can do a dozen drawings and the one that you don't expect people to point at and say what is that that's that's why it's good to share your artwork as an artist so mm. um, so that that's what happened and from there I started to kind of develop a bit of a video game pitch which is usually pretty story light as you can imagine right. um, especially like however long this was like 12 years ago or 11 years ago then, um, I have to like condense a timeline in my head. Um, <laughs> I, I had started working with a uh, division of HarperCollins, um, after a little comic book, um, that I wrote and illustrated was published, and they were looking for graphic novel pitches. And so I kind of took this Jet Jones idea. Originally, the, the game was called Jet Jones, the book was called Jet Jones, and I pitched it to HarperCollins and they said, "Well, this is great. We would like you to do a series." It came the the idea, of the story kind of came from my uh, growing up on a farm. I oh. grew up in a Canadian farm in up in the huh. province of Manit- Manitoba and, uh, and and I didn't even re- I I think even kind of subconsciously a lot of elements of my childhood ended up in the book. Hmm. Uh, I didn't, I didn't have robots as, as a kid, <laughs> but, um, but Roman's shed that he works in where he's working on the robot, yeah. That's totally my, that was my dad's shed. Oh wow. And I didn't even think like, oh, I'm going to draw my dad's shed. It just kind of ended up in the book um, in that way. So, <clears throat> so it, it, it was definitely influenced by this, this time that I spent on the farm that's a bit like a dream, you know I, I moved off the farm when I was uh probably a little younger than you, Stitch Um mm. the memories that I have from there are, are kind of foggy and I created a world out of that fogginess and then I I made it a science fiction world because that's, that's the kind of story I wanted to
1: tell so yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely sci-fi but it's it's more, it's steampunky sci-fi But it's the rural setting that really makes it different. You know, a lot of these, you would have robots and you would have them fighting in in, uh, big cities a lot of times. But you you chose that farm setting and it really, it it helps, I think, with the family story. Um, Because as, you know, farmers, you need to work together and be in sync. And it just really, um, it gives a different spin to a a robot story than uh, having it set kind of in that rural setting.
2: Yeah, I I think that I saw that as a challenge mm. as a as a writer. I wanted to see if I could contain a story on a single farm om- almost exclusively, right? Yeah. right? And it would have been really interesting to break open the world of Rust and explore cities or the other other parts of the world that we do a little bit, but not a lot. Right. But ultimately, uh, you know, there is this feeling of being trapped and isolated on this huge piece of land. And although I was a a child on a farm, I kind of knew what that feeling was like when your nearest neighbors are, you know, a mile or two away, Mm -hmm. um, if not further, and uh, you feel very isolated and you kind of rely on each other, and you you rely on your nearest neighbors as the tailors do with the ACOTs. Um, So, yeah, a lot lot of that stuff became cemented. It didn't start out like, oh, this is going to be good for these reasons, and this will helped me focus on the story. It didn't start with all those ideas. It's just that because I started with the farm in that rural setting, all of those other things came out naturally. So I want to say it was, you know, that I I brilliantly crafted it all at the beginning, but (laughs) it it all fell together as I went.
1: Yeah. And what's nice too in the book is you do a little bit of world building in the beginning where you have these prologues of what happened, you know, during that war. So you see, you know, outside of the farm, but the main story takes place in the farm. And what I like, it's almost cinematic, where you have like your your big opening to the movie, and then you always have a two two page spread, uh, you know, with the title of the book, kind of as you know your your title card and everything. It, it's yeah. it, your books have a very yeah. cinematic, and I guess that kind of goes towards the the video game aspect too. Look to them; it, it's very, it, and I mean it's the highest compliment being a Disney podcast. It has a very Pixar feel to it. You know, there's a lot of a lot of emotions in the story there's a lot going on and you do a lot with acting in the comic books you, you you do a lot of you know in a lot of comic books i read they they tell you more than they actually show and you show more in the drawings and you can really see that the emotions in the characters you don't necessarily label everything of what's going on and you know action by action it's all just there to to witness visually and it's really beautiful it makes for some amazing artwork yeah
2: yeah well oh, thanks Um, Sparrow and Stitch, when you guys read Rust, did you find it hard to read? Did you have to, like, shift into another gear when you were reading it and be like, oh, wow, there's not very many words here. I I have to slow down.
0: I don't really read it. (laughs)
1: He's (laughs) honest. Sparrow read it.
0: Um,
1: Okay, okay, Sparrow. (laughs)
0: Well, it wasn't really that hard because I have a bunch of my dad's old comics and, like, Garfield and stuff, so... I've read comics before that, like, are more pictures than words, so it was kind of easy.
2: Yeah, I, I, uh, that was another challenge that, that I, that I kind of undertook was just telling the story with pictures. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, because it means that I have to be a good enough artist to be able to describe, to be able to use the human body to act out a scene. And if I can't draw the human body, then I can't act. mm And, and so that was another challenge and it wasn't like, I want to see if I can do this challenge. I mean, that was part of it. I, I was confident that I would be able to, but I, I really enjoy being able to tell a story with pictures. And I feel like the story is more complex when you're reading the images instead of just reading the text, but it, but it does make it a little harder to read sometimes. And some people like, well, where's all the words? Where do I start? And then they realize they have to go back and kind of slow down.
1: It's easy to rush through something like that. You really do have to um, take your time,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, to just you know absorb what's going on in the panel because there'll be there'll be things even happening in the background or you know just a little movement of somebody's face or arm that you really need to pay attention to when there aren't words. It's you, you did you succeeded. You did a great job with that. Yes, cool. Well, thanks. And especially the 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 last volume and maybe because that's the the freshest in my mind. Just the artwork was. Every other page, I'm like, oh, I want this hanging on my wall.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Cool, thanks. Yeah, the, uh, the fourth volume
2: is, you know, it's been the one that I've been I've been waiting for even more than anyone else. Uh, <laughs> uh, there were there were scenes in the fourth volume that I've been imagining and envisioning in my head literally for years. Wow, and so the feeling, the feeling. The experience that I had and able to sit down and draw these for the first time, that was really, really satisfying. So I think, you know, I hope volume four isn't too different than the other volumes, but it's definitely one where there was a little bit of extra care and love in each panel because I spent the cumul- cumulative years, you know, seeing this book come together, mm. whereas the the other ones were sometimes in some ways, stepping stones to the end, you know? Yeah.
1: Do you have a v- favorite volume?
2: Uh, I mean, right now, volume four is my favorite because it's all done. Um, <laughs> but volume three is where I feel like I figured out how I tell stories. Mm. Um, I, I've, I've said this already a lot, so it's not too transparent, I think, but Volume one, I was actually still experimenting. And there, I think there was some panels you can see that maybe there's some pages that don't work as well as some of the other ones that I've done. And there's some stuff I was kind of trying out, uh, so to speak, as a storyteller. Okay. And, and there was a little bit of that in volume two as well. Once I got to volume three, I was really, really comfortable in my own voice as a storyteller. I had a lot of confidence. And I knew what made Rust different and the things about it that made it good and i kind of dug into that and so three and four are the two books that you know i i um i like because that that's where i kind of found my voice one and two i'm still very proud of but i was still you know finding my way in, in a way if that makes any sense
1: yeah no it totally does
0: who is your favorite character
2: Ah, who is my favorite character? Ah, that's hard. I feel like they're all my children sometimes <laughs> i I really enjoyed uh writing and drawing odds. yeah, because, he's one of my favorites. yeah, he's kind of a special character because he doesn't talk a lot, and so i have to, he's one of those characters that had to communicate a lot of what he was saying and thinking you know with just pictures. Mm. And that was, especially in volume four, because that's his, his turning point really is volume four. yeah. And I really wanted to make sure that people could understand how he changed his mind and what happened. And so that, that was fun. Um, But, you know, whenever I was drawing Roman, I was usually sitting in the seat of his story. And that's the closest to my own life. You know, Mm -hmm. he's, writing a letter to his dad who's gone and when he's doing that i was writing a letter to my dad who's gone um i i lost my dad um right right before the first volume was published Mm. Uh, he, he died of cancer and so it was it's very easy for me to uh relate to roman to be um to be talking to my dad when he's talking to his right so, yeah, you know, those are two characters I like, and Jets, you know, obviously tons of fun to draw. It's always the action sequence. The 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 real question is, what's my least favorite character to draw? And that's always the robots. I never like drawing the robots.
1: <laughs> really? Is it the amount of detail in them or like how they move? Why is that?
2: Yeah, it's, it's um, all of that stuff. You know, <laughs> I call it, uh, artists call it line mileage, you know, when okay. there's so much more detail and and the character may be simple to draw, but there's more lines you have to use to describe the character. And then there's complications, and then you think the character's going to be able to stand or walk or pose in this way, and then you realize, oh, they can't, because that machine doesn't, that arm doesn't fit that <laughs> over that body in that way. And, oh, my goodness, this character can't even pick anything up. <laughs> yeah, it, they're really, really hard to draw. I, I uh, breathe a big sigh of relief in the very last... I had to draw that big giant robot in Volume Four.
1: Did you have to do a lot of studying of uh, you know, real life robots to see how they move and and, and act?
2: Yeah, <laughs> Did I have to.
0: Well, <laughs> should, I, should, should I
2: have? Yes, I should have. <laughs> no, um, the the main goal with the robots was to make them feel. At least the ones that were not Jed um, to make them feel like they could have been built out of you know tractor parts, right? Right. Or, or possibly like an old crane or something you know like uh pieces from construction or from from uh, uh machinery that would have fit into that era and even even with the fact that i actually use a 3d assistant in my drawing so um all of the robots that you see in the book were built in 3d um and oh, wow. i I rig them, which means I put a, a skeleton structure in them, and I can pose them, and then use those as uh, draw or reference, um, if that makes any sense. So that's yeah. even th- that makes it even easier to draw the robots. But even with all of that involved, they're still such a pain, <laughs> uh, such a pain to draw. They're not the work isn't done for me; it's just kind of helped along by the three D.
1: So no robots, and whatever you do next, huh? <laughs> Take a break from that, right? Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I love robots, and I love big robot battles, but drawing them, maybe I'll have somebody else draw them. Oh,
1: there you go. So, also, you, you took an interesting choice, and I love it, is using kind of the sepia tones instead of having it you know, full color, or even yeah, just yeah. black and white. What what went into that decision?
2: Yeah, that that was interesting. That came about because of working with the publisher Archaea, mm-hmm. um, and Originally, the book was with the division of HarperCollins, and um, they were only willing to publish in black and white. Uh-huh. So I had started the book in basically a grayscale. And uh, knowing the, the little amount that I did about publishing, I knew that grayscale is cheaper. <laughs> uh, it's it's black and white. And if you want to add any color at all, even if it's just red, um, like a sepia tone, then it counts as full color uh-huh. and you i mean it costs the same as full color and so then the publishers put in this place of like well we can say that it's full color but it's not full color will people feel kind of you know ripped off if uh if they buy the book that's labeled as full color and it's actually not um but when i was initially talking with Arkea when the when the book left HarperCollins and went to archaea um one of the first and i would already been thinking man this this book would be really cool in see tone and I remember one of my first discussions with the uh, editor-in-chief there, Mark Smiley. He said, "You know, we were we love your book. I think we want to publish it. We were thinking about um, changing the name from Jet Jones to something else, hmm. and we were thinking about printing it in this in this Scipia tone." And I was, uh, as soon as he said that, I was like, "Oh yeah, these are the right guys. This is the right.
1: <laughs> they understood. This yeah,
2: book. yeah, because they were willing to do that." To, to cover that full color cost even though it wasn't full color panels right. and, um, and it's one of the things people respond to the most is like wow it feels really alive even though it's, it's not full color Yeah, and uh, and that, so that's been great and it's, it's wonderful to, to paint in that media because it's just values, all I'm doing is light I don't have to think about what the color of the light is mm. and yeah. for me that removes a whole step I don't have to think about
1: Now, obviously, these are available digitally. You could get them at, you know, Amazon Comixology. And you have Mm -hmm. soft covers now, too. But I love um, the hardcover. And just, you know, it looks like, you know, a novel. Not a graphic novel, but it's the size of a novel. And it's nice hardcover and and art on the the cover itself. Was that you as well? Or was the publisher kind of pushing that? How did that come about?
2: No, that was them. And that was part of that conversation. They said, hey, we're going to do this. It's going to be the four volumes we're gonna do it in hardcover only and uh when i got the first uh copy not only have they done the hardcover they did the cloth wrap yeah on the hardcover and i was just floored i was like oh my gosh this is beautiful yeah they really are um
0: yeah Yeah, i really like uh, the hardcover too
2: (laughs) yeah it feels like a good book in your hand you know like it's uh it just feels different, and it's nice to go on your shelf. And that, I think that was Arkea's approach for a lot of time. When things were starting to head digital, they said, "Well, why would people buy a physical coffee? Well, because it's going to look good and feel good on their shelf or in their hands." Yep. And so that was their whole approach to begin with: is to create these books that were almost coffee table books. And so I kind of lucked out, you know, this beautiful um, cloth wrapped hardcover. I was the one that pushed them and said, we have to get these into the soft cover mm-hmm. because these hardcovers are so expensive. Mm. I want, you know, kids to be able to get their hands on these for something cheaper than $25 <laughs> each, you
1: know. So. Right. Yeah, I, I don't even like putting them on my shelf. I like them, like you said, like a coffee table book out so people could see just how beautiful they are.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And I like how in some of your books you have a little small story after the main story.
2: Yeah, that's that. That's often either the preview for the next book or what we did. Sometimes I don't know if you guys ever saw the free comic book day issues from yeah, Arkea, yeah. but I participated in the free comic book day, which is like what like an eight page story that would be handed out for free in in May. And so then what we decided to do was to take those free comic book day stories and stick them in the back of each volume. Cool. Um, yeah, that was, that was kind of fun too.
1: So you mentioned with the robots, it sounds like you do all your drawing digitally, is that right?
2: I do now. Okay. Uh, I didn't used to. All, all of volume one and volume two were drawn on paper. Oh. Um, parts of volume three were drawn on paper too, but not, not very much. And then most of volume three and all of volume four was drawn digitally.
1: Do you sell any of those pages or do you keep those for yourself?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's funny funny you asked that um i would have said no but i i did for the first time this year just sell a couple of pages from volume one uh to some collectors in seattle and uh i usually don't put them for sale because they're pretty different they i don't feel like they're what people expect when they purchase um comic art i draw or i i used to draw um, on 12-field animation paper because I went to film school. I was trained as a 2D animator. Mm. So all of Rust is drawn on this 12-field animation paper with peg holes in the side, and I only drew it in pencil. I didn't do any inks. So I would scan the pencil in and darken that layer so that you would see some of the texture of the page and the smudges and the pencil and keep that <laughs> roughness to it because I liked that. Yeah, And so... You know, I, I don't have these beautifully inked pages like like some artists have, and they're just they're wonderful, and they're you, know, you can put a big price tag on them and say you can own a page from uh, from this book. For Rust, it's like some of the pages are cut up in pieces, some panels are drawn on a different page and scanned in separately, and it's kind of a a mess. So I have never really believed that anyone would want to own them. <laughs> I I still don't to an extent, but we'll see. Now that the series is complete, I might be willing to. You know, let go of some of those pages.
1: Oh, very cool, Stitch.
0: What is your favorite robot that you have drawn so far?
2: My favorite robot. Yeah. Um, like from from Rust, my favorite robot. I I actually really liked drawing and and working with the Model C's, which which were the humanoid um, yeah. uh, worker yeah. robots, the Sentry ones. Yeah, I. I liked working with those because I liked their design a lot. They felt menacing but also simple, you know. Like they didn't. It, it felt like something that you would find working on a farm, and yeah. yet you would you wouldn't really trust them just kind of <laughs> taking a glance at them. So they were they were the funnest to work with and and write stories yeah. around that. The whole the chicken scene from Boy in Three is one of my yeah. favorite yeah. scenes.
0: Yeah, that was funny. I, I, ju- I just saw where he ripped the chicken in half. <laughs>
2: yeah i was i was like questioning about that i went back and forth for a long time with my editor because i said you know this is an all ages book i want it to be okay for um everyone to read but i really want this scene because i think it's going to be really impactful and so we talked through how we were going to do that and uh you know i i didn't feel we needed to make it gory or anything like that and it was setting up a scene for volume four that was why i really wanted it yeah and uh so to add that tension in volume four, that was important for me to have that scene in volume three.
0: Yeah.
1: When you start to write the next volume, do you write everything out um, beforehand? Do you kind of storyboard it? Are you just, you know, drawing as you go? How does how does that process work?
2: Um, it's it's different for the, depending on the scene. So um, for a dialogue heavy scene where characters are talking to each other, where there is a you know, a verbal conflict or something that's going on or for, well, no, for, for those dialogue scenes, I would sit down and I'd write it out like a script, like a screenwriter would do, you know, character titles and, and who's saying what, so that I can understand what the dialogue is. Um, for Roman's letters to his father, I would just sit down and write the letter, Mm. uh, a lot of times. And then, and then kind of fit it into the artwork or cut it and edit it so that it fit into the artwork. Um, And for the action scenes, I only draw thumbnails. So a lot of times there's a combination of the two things. So I would sit down to do the thumbnails for the next, you know, uh, 20 to 50 pages or whatever scene I was working on. And sometimes I'd have the script next to me if there was one. And I would draw these thumbnails really, really quick. I would draw each page in about, you know, two or three minutes.
1: Hmm.
2: And if I needed to, I'd put a little, I'd put notes in the margins about... What the dialogue was, or what was happening, if I needed descriptions for myself, and then um, and then finish the whole book that way from beginning to end. So I knew basically what what the book was going to be. and right. then go back to the beginning and start actually drawing the pages. And I had to sometimes I had to make notes because I'd look at a thumbnail and it would be almost a year old, and I'd be like, "What on earth is this? Chick-, you know, this chicken scratch right. drawing, this terrible drawing I have." And and those notes would be helpful. I'd be like, oh, oh, this is uh, an upshot of Jet. I understand now what I was doing. And then I'd go and I'd do that drawing. But I had to, you know, my my old self had to make notes for my future self yeah. to make sure that the page is uh, uh,
1: read properly. So some people might be asking why we're talking about this on a, a Disney podcast. One, because we just love the books and we wanted to talk about it and talk to you. But two is um, Fox bought the rights to these and now, you know, Disney is possibly is in the process of buying Fox. What's what's the status of that? Do you do you have anything on that?
2: Yeah, not not a whole lot <laughs> I can talk about. Man and man, I wish I could tell you more mm. about about it right now. But the I, I can say the good news is that for a couple of years it had it had fallen out of option with Fox. Okay. And um, so they kinda it cooled off for a while. Um, and then, uh, and then kind of just recently, I think with Disney purchasing Fox, it's kind of gotten a little heated up again. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm hoping I got all my fingers and toes crossed that, uh, that this, this is a a perfectly good reason to be talking about rust on a Disney podcast (laughs) because, uh, that would be the future of, of Fox and, uh, and hopefully rust and you never know what happens in these kinds of mergers and acquisitions yeah. you know like uh, there's really no telling about what will happen and so I just kind of take it day to day and think well it's it's nice that it's still being talked about and there's still some really talented people that are really interested in making this movie and that's really exciting to me um but in Hollywood you've really got to take it a day at a time because it's <laughs> It can literally be all gone in a single phone call. It's just like, hey, it's all, you know, it's it's uh, being put on the shelf and, and you just gotta, you know, enjoy the the journey that you get to go on and that's kind of what it's been. This whole, this whole movie thing's been a bit of a journey.
1: Yeah, well, best of luck on that. I really hope we get to see this on the big screen and, and more yes. people get exposed to the story because it's really a great story and, and, and the art is amazing.
2: Thank you. Yeah, and I, I hope, I hope so too, and I think it's. I, I hope it's got a big, big uh, Disney opening logo up front. That would be great. Yeah.
1: How amazing would that be, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> but and le- like I said, it does have a very Pixar feel to it. I mean, you watch these movies like Coco and you know Up. There's a lot of emotion in those movies and that that's totally in your book too this isn't just robots fighting robots this is a you know a lot of emotion involved so it it fits very well with their their brand and what they're doing so
0: yep what's interesting about it i don't know what type of disney it would be
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true that was a very good uh very good move that disney made there, acquiring pixar yeah um I don't know if you guys know this, because this is often mistaken, but Rust was optioned as a live-action movie, not as an animated movie. Really? Yeah. Wow. And that that's where it continues to sit. Oh, okay. Yeah. That kind of changes your perception of what it might be, but, um, I mean, the, logistically looking at it, animated films are very, very expensive to right. make, so that, that risk is a lot bigger when they just go in and say we're gonna we're gonna make an animated film, yeah, uh, live action movies, even ones with a lot of effects, um, you know, come in at half the price or less of a lot of these Pixar movies.
1: So, well, it's it's a shame the comic book movies don't do well nowadays. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, yeah, wouldn't it be cool if we could see superheroes on the stage.
1: <laughs> you know that that was my dream. You know, years ago. You know, I used to work in a comic book shop when I was in middle school, and it's just like, oh, it'd be so cool to see this on the big screen. And you saw some of their attempts, and you're like, this is not what I wanted. And then, you know, Marvel started making their own movies, and you're like, this is totally what I wanted. So,
2: yeah, you know, and it's funny because they're hitting all these titles. A lot of them, I honestly don't care about because I didn't read. You know, I didn't read the Avengers and okay, um, a lot of DC stuff. I I thought the movies were great, but there are certain ones that I read that are sudden they're getting to them now like the venom movie that's coming out i was like oh i gotta see that i really (laughs) really like that character and i followed a lot of those sub stories that that spun off from uh amazing spider-man so i'm i'm looking forward to that one yeah Um, but yeah i know they've done a great job with with uh their ip they've done really good
1: yeah that totally changes my picture now if it's live action but i think you know obviously it'll be done very well so cool well, I, I you
2: know I hope so. I, I don't have <laughs> control over what kind of movie. Well, I, as much as I can hope to, but right. they, you know, if they make it, I, I don't have as much control over what it's what it's going to be. You have to give up your story and give it over to somebody else and another director and another writer. And you have to say, this is your story now. Yeah. You have to make it great. You have to own it. And that's that's kind of the only way to allow people to really you know use their creativity to make something great. Um. But, yeah, I always mention that because people are like, "Oh, this is going to be a great animated movie," <laughs> and I to- I totally know why they think that. Like, I you know, but um, but yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's going to be live action, and I, I think I think it'd be cool. So,
1: and even just you know, fingers crossed, be able to meet Jet Jones in a Disney park one day would be amazing, right?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that would, Rustland. Be, <laughs> yeah, Rustland. Yeah, that would be weird.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Very weird.
0: Well, well, that, that was interesting.
1: interesting. Yeah, it really was. Good good stuff. Um, so be sure to listen next week. Tune in
0: next week. Tune in next week for part two. For part
1: two. Yep. If you guys want to purchase any of Royden's uh, books, we're going to have the links in the show notes, so be sure to check that yes. out. The Rust series is a great series. I highly recommend it. Good for adults and children.
0: And he also has the prologue um, from every single book. So there's like a prologue in every book, and he has it all in one book.
1: Yep, and I highly recommend getting the hard covers. This is, it is available yes. both digitally and soft covers. I recommend getting the volumes in hardcover because they're just beautiful yeah. looking yeah. books. All right, and that is obviously our media pick of the week. This week is the Rust uh, books. I have no tip and trick, so that's it. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, be sure to tell your friends and family about us anybody who loves Disney let them know about our podcast you can find us on Apple Podcasts Google Play Stitcher we're on Spotify now where can they find us on Twitter Sparrow
0: they can find us on Twitter at Disney underscore discuss Instagram Disney underscore discuss Facebook Disney Discussions and like he said we're on Spotify and be sure to search us on YouTube Disney Discussions we have some unboxing videos and we always put out our podcasts on YouTube And you can always visit us at our website at www.disneydiscussions.com. And you can email us at podcast.disneydiscussions.com.
1: That's right. We did, before I forget, we did have one iTunes review. LD from SD said two very enthusiastic thumbs up. She gave us five stars. I'm guessing it's a she. Um, Such a fun, energetic show. You can feel the love and enthusiasm. Perfect for families and anyone wanting to connect with their inner Disney child. These boys know their stuff. Thank you. Thanks, LD from SD. We appreciate that. And we have the contest going on for Expedition Roasters. Last episode, we interviewed Eric from Expedition Roasters. He gave us two bags to give away. Yes. One bag we're giving away to listeners. So you have to leave an iTunes review for us. So LD from SD is in the running for that, along with anyone who's previously gave a review. But if you want to be in that, leave us a review. But we're also running a contest. If you go to our Twitter, Disney underscore discuss, you'll see uh, links there to yeah. you'll see links there to a contest. You enter that. You can enter daily and you'll be in the running to win a bag of Expedition Roasters coffee.
0: And the flavors are rude roosty- 66 Tire Fix, it's a morning blend, as Eric said. And Banana banana Pie Jungle Cruise Skipper's Brew.
1: That's right. They sound delicious. That is over on the 21st of March, so we'll announce the winner in the next podcast when you listen to part two of Royden.
0: And if you're wondering what my favorite Disney villain is, um, it's Kylo Ren. That's so All that comes to mind
1: right now is Hope, right, Thanks for listening. See you real soon.
0: Aloha! Aloha.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Disney has now ended its normal operating day. We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the Magic Kingdom and that you'll be back with us again soon. Drive carefully on your way home. Good night. Yeah, folks! And me and my you
0: had a swell time. Hell, oh, <laughs> yeah. hi, I'm Stitch. Hi, I'm Stitch. I'm seven years old. I'm my favorite superhero. Wait, did I say seven years old?
1: Mm-hmm. We got to re-record that. <laughs> All right. Welcome to episode twenty-one of Disney. Oh, it's twenty-two, isn't it? Yes.
0: We yep,
1: yes, twenty-two. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. So we already recorded like the intro and outro to our podcast like we're professionals we're pretending so we'll just (laughs) we'll just jump right in all right
0: yeah